Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest in sports news, fantasy analysis, and opinions. Don't forget the hot takes. Can't have a sports show without hot takes these days. What about hot cakes, though? Mm, I want some hot cakes. Now here's your host, ready to jump into the thick of things, Dwayne Callender. Hello, everybody. We just wrapped up Game 7 of the World Series, and it did not go the way people had planned. Yes, indeed, the road team has won yet again in the World Series as the Washington Nationals have won their very first World Series in dramatic fashion over the Houston Astros in a series that, I don't know about you, Cam, but I will, again, rail on baseball and the overuse of analytics because the Houston Astros managed to blow a World Series they were heavily favored in because they overthought multiple games when they didn't need to, and it ended up biting them in the ass because the Nationals pretty much stayed to the exact same game plan they wanted to utilize the entire way through, and despite having a vastly inferior lineup, and, I mean, the pitching staffs, uh, you know, you can say whatever you want about the starting pitching. The starting pitching canceled each other out by and large, and even then, the Astros still had a slight edge. The problem is, is that the Astros' bullpen was overused. It was overused in the Yankees series. It bit them in the ass in this series. And Washington's bullpen, even though as crappy as it was during the year, because Washington knew it couldn't leverage its bullpen all that much, they really didn't use too many guys that they knew couldn't throw strikes. So the few guys that did end up pitching, and Patrick Corbin was a great example of this, while he got lit up, it's not as though Washington said you can't pitch for a while. They just threw him out there whenever it made sense and hope for the best. And luckily, it panned out, but Houston kept using their relievers in so many higher leverage situations, it ended up uh, it ended up burning them because, as I've said, time in and time out, analytics in a large sample size over the course of a regular season, yeah, it's great. You can use analytics. But when it comes to the nitty-gritty of a short playoff series where guys see you multiple times and they know exactly what you're throwing, there's no surprises. So why would you go with a bullpen guy who has a limited arsenal of uh, repertoire of pitches that all the hitters know what's coming and they can make quicker adjustments to it than actually sticking with the starter who has more pitches that they can actually throw and variations of getting guys out? It, 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 you know, I, I will say this until I'm blue in the face, but... Too many teams overthink how to manage playoff series. And I thought the Dodgers should have won last year if it wasn't for Dave Roberts. I thought... He sucks. He sucks, though. Well, well, guess what? Dave Roberts should get a World Series ring from the Nationals because this Nationals team, even though they won the World Series, they had no business even making it out of the wild card uh, round if it wasn't for Dave Roberts putting in Clayton Kershaw. Like we talked, uh, like I talked about this at length. Like Kurt Kershaw gifted the Nationals 
a, a pass in the in the National League, and guess what? They rode that wave and got through the World Series and won it. Because again, we got the Houston Astros overthinking things and actually ended up spurning their bullpen, which was one of their strengths, but it actually turned into one of their biggest liabilities due to the fact that they overexposed them. But here's the thing of it. And, you know, for those of you who did not watch the game, shame on you if you didn't watch a Game 7. I mean, but, you know, things happen. <laughs> I, I mean, I will not begrudge, folks, uh, because, uh, you know, things do happen. But here's the thing. I, I, I say this because as I crack open another can of uh, V8 energy drink, because... Oh, I'm sure you are. It is, it, it is V8 energy Peach mango, if you want to know. <laughs> yeah, that's how manly I am, Cam. Peach mango. Yeah, it's, a, it's a VA with a splash of tropical punch. Hey, steady energy from green tea, Cam. It's it's <laughs> it's what the champions all use. And after this, you might as well get the ad in. You know what? That that that, that I, I probably should have pitched V eight to get uh, to get get an ad in before I actually. Yeah, I, I, I probably should have pitched that before actually mentioning them on air. Oh well, ah, better luck next time. But anyway, so for those of you who did not watch the game, it was uh, a matchup between Justin Verlander. I mean, uh, I'm saying Justin Verlander. Uh, I'm actually meaning Zach Greinke. Verlander went last night. And this was my bone of contention with the Astros. You could have had Justin Verlander on full rest for this game to match up against Max Scherzer, who no one knew what Scherzer was actually going to be able to bring to the table. Instead, Houston tried to go for the kill shot last night with Verlander against Strasburg, who is the hottest pitcher in the postseason, not named Garrett Cole. I didn't understand the rationale of Houston trying to rush for a kill shot when they had two games to uh, two games to get this thing done. They used their best pitcher available to match up against the Nationals' best pitcher, but it's the one instance where if you watch uh, Justin Verlander this postseason, you knew Justin Verlander was not on his A game. So yeah, to he's me, been terrible. He's been terrible. So to me, the the bottom line is is that. You know, Verlander was at a disadvantage against Strasburg. You could have had a better matchup with Verlander versus Scherzer with Verlander at full rest so you know everything you're going to get out of Verlander. Now, the Astros did get bailed out tonight by Zach Greinke because I I told you this beforehand. Every person I talk to, and I, I, I stick by my place, I, for DFS and betting purposes, I had a hard fate on Greinke. I thought Greinke was going to get shelled. I picked the Nationals to win the game tonight. But not for the way the Nationals actually won the game. That's the part that surprised me. Greinke pitched great. 
Greggy pitched it incredibly well. Greggy had no business being pulled from this game. This is where I go off on a tangent about analytics because if you watch this game and you saw the score, you would swear that, oh man, uh, you know, Zach Greinke fell apart and, you know, game got away from the Astros. No, the Astros elected to pull Zach Greinke from the game when he was still in firm control of his pitches. Now, they, they, lost, they lost that game, to be honest. I mean, he only got 80 pitches. That's it. I mean, you, you leave him in at least 90-95, to be honest. Zach Greinke, through six innings, had given up one hit. One hit. I mean, he was in, he, he was in trouble, but... But he, but he gave up one, like, he only had one, the only inning where you could say Zach Greinke was actually in legitimate trouble was the second inning, and he got an immediate double play after Soto single. No one else was really giving him any trouble. He was cruising through these pit, uh, these innings. He got through every single inning Without more of it, like, you had one hit and one walk. That's it for, through six innings. Seventh inning rolls around. Eaton grounds out uh, to start the inning. He has a pitch sequence with Rendon. Rendon catches, uh, is sits on the changeup and, and catches it at the bottom of the strike zone. It's not a bad pitch, but Rendon was sitting changeup. He made an adjustment, and he hit a good pitch. Okay, you know what? It happens. But here's uh, but here's the thing of it. AJ Hinch was already thinking about pulling Granky before the start of the inning. This is insanity. This is the point of insanity. You're up 2-0. You have a starting pitching that is cruising. The next pitch sequence. With uh, uh, with uh, one, uh, with uh, Soto at the plate, he starts off with a four seam fastball inside, so that goes for a ball. It was close enough that it could have been called a strike, but it gets called a ball by the home plate umpire. Then the second pitch was a strike, a swinging strike. Third pitch, change up inside for a ball. Fourth pitch, another change up. That was actually a strike. Everybody in the ballpark knew it was a strike. We talked about this when we were on the phone. And I said uh, home plate got uh, got mixed up because he probably thought that it was a curveball and it dropped out of the zone. That's the reason why he didn't get, uh, give it a strike call because I think he got confused as to what the actual pitch was because where it was in the zone... There's no way you can't call that a strike. I think he got mixed up thinking that it was a curveball that dropped, uh, the bomb dropped out of the zone, and that's why he flinched. Because uh, Jim Wolf, like at home plate, was pretty consistent with the strike zone. That pitch was just atypical, but it changed the entire at bat. Because instead of it being a 2 2 count, where Granky can then just bury a curveball in the dirt. And has Soto chase after it. It's a 3-1 count. Granky doesn't want to give in. 
So instead, he throws the inside curve, hoping Soto swings at it. Soto lays off, and Soto walks. But here's the thing of it. Granky was in complete control of the at-bat. He wasn't wild. He was pinpointing his pitches. He didn't want to give in to a pitch to Soto, given how dangerous he is. So he walks him. A.J. Hinch pulls Granky in, you know... We talked about this, and you were calming me down, but, like, this was my biggest bugaboo. Why are you pulling a pitcher who's cruising, that has more out pitches, and is a veteran pitcher? He's. I thought he, Greggy was going to get rattled by the moment. I have to apologize to Zach Greggy. Greggy pitched great in a, tight, in a big spot. No issues. He was getting the job done. Yep. Howie Kendrick... Had one walk, but he wasn't. It wasn't as though Granky was all over the place. Like he had uh, Kendrick confused, and you know when he walked, it was because he didn't want to give in to Kendrick by throwing a meatball. He didn't want to throw the fastball uh, in the strike zone to Kendrick because Kendrick has been hot this World Series. He's been hot the entire postseason for crying out loud. So. Obviously, uh, Granky gets pulled. I don't agree with the, the decision. Garrett Cole has been warming up the entire game, uh, like just getting loose, but he actually warmed up prior to the inning because A.J. Hinch had it in his mind that he wanted to pull Granky for Garrett Cole to start the seventh inning. And I'm sure, and like, I don't have, uh, uh, I don't have the, uh, post game, uh, uh, press conferences up, but I'm sure the thought process was, oh, we wanted to play Garrett, uh, pitch Garrett Cole in the seventh inning, but Zach was pitching so well, uh, we decided to leave him in there. And, you know, of course, managers overthinking things, they didn't want to put Zach, uh, they don't want to put Garrett Cole in with a runner on because he's not used to relief pitching, but Garrett Cole has better stuff than any reliever in your entire bullpen. Like, if... If you're if you're calling on a reliever to go through a high leverage spot, wouldn't you actually do the due diligence to see what's the last time? Uh, how many pitches did the a hitter actually see the reliever? Because if you go back to Game Four, the last time Will Harris matched up against Howie Kendrick, yes, Will Harris got the strikeout, but Will Harris throws ninety percent cutters and. 10% of the time will throw off speed, uh, but mostly it's either the cutter or breaking ball. He doesn't have a lot of variation in his pitches. And Howie Kendrick saw six pitches the last time he faced off against Harris in game four. These series happen in such a condensed time span. Hitters are just going over every pitcher that they have seen. So Kendrick has seen everything Will Harris is going to be able to throw at him. He saw the curve, but he saw a bunch of cutters. So you bring in Will Harris. Now, am I saying Will Harris can't get Howie Kendrick out? No. But if you're trying to sell me on the fact that Will Harris is better equipped to get Howie Kendrick out, who's been hot at the plate, than Zach Greinke, who is on point the entire night, or Garrett Cole in the bullpen... Like I want to know, I want to know what you're smoking because 
you could tell you could try to upsell me on analytics all you want, but in terms of stuff, there is no chance in the world that Will Harris is going to get Howie Kendrick out more often than Zach Greinke or Garrett Cole. It's not going to happen. So if you're going to a high leverage spot, if you're not going to use Greinke, then Garrett Cole's got to be the call to the bullpen. If, if you're that afraid of Howie Kendrick facing off against Zach Greinke, I'm sorry. that That's just the way it's got to be. So, lo and behold... The pitch sequence goes, uh, Harris leads, actually led off with the curveball, which caught Howie Kendrick off guard, but then he followed it up with a cutter. Like, if you're going to start off the pitch with a, cu- uh, a curve, the cutter's got to be out of the zone uh, on the next pitch because you just sped up his at-bat because he, he overswung the curve because he was expecting the cutter, but if you're going to throw another cutter, you just sped up his bat. And he got the bat hat out and hit it out. Or, or you just uh, do another curve. I mean, I don't know. It's not that hard. Not that hard. But, but, but this, is, this is where I, uh, I, I say, Cam, analytics gets in the way of actual common sense. Because I, I complained about it with the Yankees, and it bit them in the end, and it burned the Astros. Like, you can't be going through uh, pitch sequences and doing the... uh, Because they started off with something different because, like, Howie Kendrick saw everything last go-around in Game 4. Will Harris isn't bringing anything else to the table that's new. Is it a good swing by Howie Kendrick? Yes. But the problem is is that Howie Kendrick saw everything in Will Harris' repertoire in Game 4. So he knew what to look for. It's just that when Will Harris threw that cutter, it wasn't the best cutter, but Howie Kendrick's bat was already sped up, and he got the bat hat out, and you know what? It went off the foul pole. Game over. Game over. Because the rest of the way, you could see by the time that home run got hit, the rest of the Astros hitters outside of uh, Brantley, they were tight. Like, Altuve was swinging at pitches that Altuve normally doesn't swing at. Correa got rung up on an inside pitch that was inside. But realistically, you're going to have to protect the plate. It's, it's, it's getting tight enough in games that home plate is not going to give you all those, <coughs> all those calls that you're normally used to in a regular season. That's why I got on Gary Sanchez. Like, you guys can protest about the how well you know the strike zone. So, but playoff baseball is different animal than regular season games. You can't be that much of a baby about the strike zone. Some pitches you're going to have to protect yourself when you're on two strikes. You can't be you can't be that stubborn. Sorry. I agree. No, I mean I can't say anything else. That's it. And then by that point. You know, the Nationals start tacking on runs because Houston's bullpen, again, overexposed. And finally, Joe Smith got exposed because I kept saying Joe Smith is the weakest link in that Houston bullpen and the Yankees are rolling over too many pitches. And 
the Nationals were rolling over too many pitches. They like Joe Smith was giving decent pitches to hit, and everyone just kept missing, uh, mistiming it until tonight when the 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 Nationals just started opening up on Joe Smith and rifling pitches, and AJ Hinch had a poem for your quitty who this go around, you know, Eaton was able to square up a pitch because he had seen Urquidy, uh at least a couple of uh, uh, at bat uh, out for two at bats uh, on Saturday. But you know, I talk about it like games vary day to day based off of stuff. Just because a guy has great stuff one night, outside of the truly elite pitchers, you can't predict the uh, the variance of consistency of how uh, a guy's stuff is going to be warming up to when he goes out on the mound. It it just depends. Like, some guys have it, some guys don't. You know this as a pitcher, Cam. Like, but too many of these teams just look at the uh, the binder and say, oh, well, based off of the pitch uh, pitches that he throws, the success rate uh, is at this percentile versus this other pitcher, and... It just doesn't work that way. Sometimes you you really do have to manage by feel, and you know more often than not, I I and I've seen this with the Astros, and that's why I complained about the Yankees that the Yankees, the Astros, in my opinion, never played their A game this entire postseason. They never played an A game. They they've no, had they've they've when, had games. What I, I call it here, if you wanted to. I'm going to pull in on this. They played soft, if, if that's what uh, you want to put it as. They played, like, defensive the whole time. I just feel like they didn't attack. Nope. They just, like, I mean, if you're going to attack like they did the whole game, like, or game, the whole series, like, Jared Cole would have, like, came in the whole game or Verlander or whoever and would just, like, attack, attack, attack. They were just, like... Like it was, it just seemed soft to me. Like they were just like really trying to locate every ball, and well, that well that was it was disgusting to me. Well, that 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 was the, well that was the bugaboo that I had in the Yankee series. The Yankees had every right to be up two zero against the Astros because the first the first uh, go around with the Astros they beat Granky. But Verlander, the Net Yankees had every right to knock Verlander out of that game early. But when the Yankees got down to two strikes, they didn't choke up on the bat, and they couldn't put balls in play when they had runners in scoring position and force the Astros to make plays. The biggest issue that I saw with the Astros this postseason was the overall inconsistency compared to what they normally could do. Because to me... That entire Yankee series, I thought the uh, the Astros only played about a couple of games with like B level performances, but mostly I felt it was like B minus level performances. I thought the Yankees, if the Yankees played their A game, they beat the the Astros in that series. I truly felt that, but the Yankees weren't playing well. The Nationals have been playing out of their minds the entire postseason after they got past uh, the Dodgers. Well, well, the thing is, they have nothing to lose, and so they're they're just swinging it like they normally do. You yeah, know what I mean, yeah, no, the the the, the Nationals were playing free and easy because they had not. No, I mean, and 
and by all rights, they they had no business being in this postseason. Like the reason the re- the re- the reason why the Nationals are in even made the postseason is because of how bad the NL East was between the Phillies and their lack of. Between the Phillies and their lack of starting pitching, the Mets just being complete and utter dysfunction personified by having a GM run the entire team and manage the team at the exact same time, and then the the Florida Marlins ongoing fire sale uh, of a franchise, and you know by and large the Braves won the NL East. By default, because the Nationals had no bullpen, and until they actually made a trade for Daniel Hudson, were literally just imploding left and right. Oh, and apparently Steph Curry uh, got injured uh, tonight for the Golden State Warriors, so their season is officially over. Well, well, I, I, I just saw a news alert saying uh, Steph, Curry, what is Steph Curry? Uh, Steph Curry has a broken hand, and I'm like, well, the Warriors season is officially over. <laughs> it, it's five games into the year, and the Golden State Warriors season is officially over. But anyway, uh, getting back to my point. The Astros, I never felt even remotely satisfied with what the Astros were bringing to the table. Not even close. And, you know, you could tell that they they really didn't think uh, too much of the Nationals. They, they dogged out. They legitimately dogged out the first uh, couple of games of this series and didn't take it seriously. They, I mean, it's really that simple. I mean, I agree. I mean, when you're the Nats, I mean, you don't give a F. And you just come out and just, you know, do what you do. A.K.A. Rendon Soto. I mean, Soto dropping bombs. I mean, he's a prodigy. (laughs) So, but they literally can't stop. Can't stop him. Yeah, so, I mean, at the end of the day... You know, the the Nationals deserve to win that World Series because they, I mean, they executed to the best of their ability, and there is not a there's not a chance in the world. You know, if you ask the Astros if they're being completely honest with themselves, if they gave ever if they gave their entire all in that series, because you know what that series reminded me the most of. It were, it, I had to go back because it it, were, it it was a painful memory for me just watching that implosion of a World Series. But that World Series reminded me so much of the 2003 World Series between the Yankees and the Marlins where we beat Boston in a seven-game series and turn around to lose to a Nationals, uh, uh, to a Florida Marlins team with Josh Beckett and uh, Dontrell Willis where, yeah... It's like, yeah, they had great pitching, and they were on a hot streak, and Beckett was a beast. But if we're if we're being completely honest, that Yankees team 
with the roster that they had, still should have been able to take care of business. The biggest issue was they thought that series was going to be a cakewalk and they were not ready for a, a grind in the World Series. And I felt from the jump, like the Astros thought this was going to be a pushover series and, you know, didn't did not realize uh, that they were in a, for a fight and it took them a while to adjust. And even then when they got up 3-2, I thought the biggest, again, I, I, I will keep saying it until I'm blue in the face. Rushing out Justin Verlander for Game Six when you could have saved up Verlander for a full a full rest and still had Garrett Cole in the in your back pocket made more sense than rolling the dice on Granky. Now, granted, Granky actually paid off, so he bailed out his manager. But here's the thing: if Granky was at full rest for last night's game. My whole thing is, you lost last night's game because Verlander couldn't give you enough length and only could go five innings. What if Granky, uh, Granky had full rest to actually pitch last night? And the way he was pitching, they win game five last night. They actually win game five. I mean, game six last night. That's the thing. You know, yeah, this it's armchair quarterbacking, but the at the end of the day, who are your two best pitchers? Verlander and Cole. You would have had a fully rested Verlander, and you still would have been able to use the Cole as a fire drill measure to protect the bullpen from any further overexposure. The Astros kept treating this as our bullpen is so good, we don't have to worry about them getting lit up in a high leverage spot. And guess what? They got lit up in high leverage spots back-to-back nights, and they've lost the World Series. That's literally what happened. Because you rushed Verlander out, he could only go five, the bullpen gave it up last night, and they gave it up again tonight. I I don't know what else to tell you. It's like, you could say that it's a small sample size, and that over the course of a year, you know, the bullpen is the right call. But that's not what the playoffs are about. The playoffs are about small sample sizes. And if you see enough guys with limited rep- pitching repertoires in the bullpen, you can start game planning how you're going to attack them. And guess what? Big hits happen when you can figure out what a guy's going to throw and jump on it. You know Scherzer hasn't lost uh, a postseason game ever. Just so you know that. Uh, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. The, the, Max Scherzer is great postseason. I mean, that's the thing, though. If you told me you could have had a fully healthy Verlander, uh, rested Verlander, and Garrett Cole against Max Scherzer alone, I know Scherzer's going to give up. And Scherzer actually pitched better than I thought he would. Off of the neck spasms. But even then, I still don't think if you have a fully rested Verlander in Garrett Cole, I don't think you're giving up more than two runs in that game. I really don't. But guess what? They didn't go that direction, and now they're going to spend the entire offseason second-guessing themselves, as they should. I mean, they should. 
Obviously. Look where they're at. All right, Cam. Uh, let, let's uh, let's. Uh, I mean, we we we've we've t- we've talked the baseball for a good half hour here. Uh, most uh, most I mean, uh, most yeah. I mean, most people. And honestly, the unfortunate part about this series is the fact that again, because it's Houston and Washington, most of America did not give two you know what's about this series as. And it was an entertaining series. Uh, don't get me wrong, but if you look at the television ratings, the ratings have been absolutely dreadful. Like they were struggling against regular season NBA basketball, which should be incomprehensible for a World Series match. It, like this is, if this isn't a telltale sign for baseball that they've got to figure some things out, and I look. I love baseball, but baseball has got to figure out different way. And and no, juicing the baseball was just stupid. I'm sorry, it was stupid. They they figured it out that they can't have juiced baseballs for the postseason. Great, but juicing the baseballs for the regular season didn't bring in ratings either. Like the the MLB has got to figure out different ways of generating interest. And probably one of the first things they're going to have to do is get rid of the shift. Get rid of shifts entirely and open back up hitting for players because they got to so figure... Get, so, so you're saying get rid of the shift? Yep, get rid of it. Hey, I mean... It, yeah, it, it's like, yes, I know uh, uh, getting rid of the shift is going to increase offense, but you know what it's also going to do? It's basically going to not make a mockery of teams being able to like uh, slow up the game because they're doing defensive shifts, slowing things down. And it's like I wasn't a fan of the pitch clock idea. I, I think you know doing things like pitch clocks, you know, umps can manage the game their own way to avoid doing that. I don't like the idea of doing a pitch clock. But there are baseball has to do other things in terms of, and they've already done it with limiting the mound visits and, and things you can do with talking to pitchers. But you know, I, I'm not a fan of radically changing the rules of baseball, but some of the high leverage stuff that has been done in recent years, and even the over reliance on bullpen, like to me. I think you should only have a couple of designated guys in the bullpen and that's it for a given night. And if it goes into extras, you know, then you have extra guys that are available in the event that a game goes into extra innings. To me, that's a better way of going about it, of speeding up games. Just designating, it's like, unless there's an injury or a game goes into extras, you can't add more than... uh, three relievers per team in a given uh, baseball contest. I mean, I agree. I mean, you're going to like pause a game for multiple relievers. I get it, but I don't know. I have uh, multiple decisions on that. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, 
baseball has to make some changes because I'm looking at I'm looking at the ratings numbers and I, I, it's very worrying to me that ba- like yeah it's game seven but I'm very curious to see how many people actually tune in for game seven because I have a very distinct feeling that even though it was game seven it's not going to get that much of a bump up in the ratings. No, just being not. honest. I mean, especially when you have the Nationals versus freaking the Astros, which, you know, the Astros have been there, Nationals haven't, so. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the way I look at it, but uh, baseball has, they, they, they've they got their hands full of uh trying to figure out different ways of getting people involved, but I, I I can't see I really can't see baseball being able to keep its head in the sand. They they're gonna need to start doing uh a few different things uh and quickly. Alright. So let's uh, let's move on. Uh let's talk some NFL we had a very quiet trade deadline uh, yesterday. This is where I want to come in. This is what I like. And I'll be honest. Uh, what did you think of the news of the Cowboys trying to trade for Jamal Adams and the Jets basically uh, cock-teasing you? Because, <laughs> you know, you guys <laughs> actually needed Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams very much Obviously. wanted to leave the Jets. At that point, hearing that he was being shopped around, whether or not the Jets actively were shopping him or because the Jets basically played it off saying, well, we weren't actively shopping you. It's just that teams called us and we made counter offers, but that's not us actively shopping you. I mean, we need them, but at the same time, I'm also second guessing uh, Bennett, which is, I don't know what to think about Bennett either. So, uh, well, Bennett Bennett is a flyer. I mean, I I think Michael Bennett is a decent enough play for you guys. No, he is, but you know, he's a typical, you know, Jerry Jones play. Like he he likes to you know stir shit up, and he's an idiot. So. That's it. That's all. I have to, that's all I have to say. You know, I just stir shit up. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about it? I I think it 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 it's it's a good pickup for the Cowboys. I, mean, I agree. Yeah. I, think it's I mean, they didn't they didn't they didn't they didn't they didn't give up much. I I just think like the biggest thing uh, going on about this is uh, you know. At the end of the day, if I'm, and this is where I, I, I see a lot of teams uh, getting caught up with this, you know, the the problem, the problem I feel that with a lot of teams is that, uh, you know, too many teams are tanking this year. And they're going proactively tanking. 
So normally when teams are looking to deal players, like they're looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, we got to beat X, Y, and Z in our division. There are so many teams tanking and actively tanking right now that a number of teams that probably would have made deals didn't make deals because they're looking at their remaining schedule and saying, well, these teams are tanking, so why am I expending draft capital when I could just try to roll the dice and I know I'm going to make the playoffs anyway, but I don't think I'm good enough to beat certain teams in the playoffs, but let's just try to get into the playoffs uh, just to kind of upsell to the fan base that, you know, we had a good enough roster to make the playoffs. I mean, that's probably half of the teams, a.k.a. the Cowboys, so... <laughs> well, the, the to me, the Cowboys uh, went about this uh, in a way where the... Oh, yeah, yeah, Steph Curry definitely... Uh, yeah, the, Steph Curry definitely broke his hand there. Like, uh, Aaron Baines awkwardly fell on the hand. Yeah, that doesn't look good. Um, yeah, in terms of, like, certain teams like the Cowboys, they already have a deep enough roster. And, again, the Cowboys needed a clear cap space. That's why I thought the Jamal Adams play was the best thing they could have done because he's still on the rookie deal. You could figure it out for next year. But I don't know what the Jets could have been asking for because you're not giving up two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're not doing no that way. for a safety. No so, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know what game the Jets are playing, but, you know, actively antagonizing your players and then saying, oh, well, we, we didn't mean to trade you, but we, we made counteroffers. To me, you you just like lit a stick of dynamite and just toss it into your locker room, and now are pretending like, oh no, you, there's not a uh, there's no there's no fire or impending explosion coming in this locker room, even though you got a stick of dynamite about to go off. No, definitely not. I mean, look at the eagles. Oh well, the. The Eagles, I don't, I don't understand what the Eagles are doing, because the Eagles missed out on the Jalen Ramsey trade, when, you know, their season was very much viable enough to win the NFC East with a DB. They don't go after Jalen Ramsey. They don't go after uh, uh, Patrick Peterson. They don't even try to trade within their division, which I get, but at the same time, Washington was basically trying to give away. Uh, Josh Norman, but you know, there's just too, there was too many variables not to explore improving upon the absolute weakest area of your team. And I mean, they had your boy still playing Orlando Skandrick. Orlando was basically on a, like a a couch uh, last year, like doing nothing. They were so desperate. They hi- they brought in Orlando Orlando Skandrick. Skandrick makes one play against Mitch Trubisky, who should not be a starting NFL QB. And Skandrick thinks he's the second coming of Dion, and is calling out all of his teammates and his GM and a- anyone else who's willing to listen 
about how dare the Eagles cut him and how terrible leader Malcolm Jenkins is when he shouldn't even be in the league. But the only reason why the uh, the Eagles had him on the roster is because they were so lacking in depth that a guy like Orlando Skandrick can can actually pass through for an actual NFL DB compared to some of the scrubs they got out uh, wearing the uniform. I mean, the Eagles secondary is terrible, so they, they can just uh, obviously uh, see what we just did to them. So, you know, do we sign Dak? Do we not? What do we do? D money. That's your choice. Oh boy, Cam. We we got breaking news, Cam. We got breaking news in football. I don't know what breaking news is. The Arena Football League has shut down operations yet again. So why are we talking about this? Uh no reason, but uh, you know, somehow arena football has managed to survive for over thirty years, and I still can't figure out how the hell uh, this this league has managed to. It's 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 still the technically it's still the third longest running professional football league in the world. And by the world, I mean North America because no other country in the world actually plays football. They play soccer. <laughs> they play football. Football. But yeah, so it it, it, it very well could be that, uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, arena football started in 87, so... After over 30 years of barely clinging to life, uh, arena football may finally be actually dead. So what we need to do is cut this whole first half and talk about the Cowboys and the Giants. Prime time, game time. Oh, Danny Dimes versus Dak for Monday Night Football. Yes. Yeah, so just cut the, the whole 45 minutes that we just talked. And let's get into it. I mean, what else can you say, Cam? Other than so, so, so let me ask questions. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be you. So, what is Danny Dimes gonna do? Absolutely nothing. What about Eli? Eli will be on the bench. So, how many yards will Saquon get? I think Saquon gets held under 100. Like, the Cowboys are a terrible matchup for Saquon. Unless Saquon breaks one big run, I think Saquon gets held under 100 because Jalen Smith and Van Der Esch are two of the fastest linebackers in the entire league. So Saqu- Saquon's... Yards or just rushing? Uh, rushing. So, I think actual receiving yards, if... So, if... Danny Dimes drops it off enough. I think I think Saquon has about eighty yards against us on receiving. But here's the thing. To be honest. This is my issue with the Giants offense. People kept telling me that 
Pat Shermer was being held back by Eli Manning and that if Daniel Jones was there to uh, to uh, move around in the pocket and throw deep down the field, you know, you're going to see an entirely different Giants offense. Nothing has changed with the Giants offense. Even with Saquon being back, Golden Tate's in, Evan Ingram was back healthy. Nothing's really changed with the Giants offense. It's still a haphazardly uh, called game plan. And it doesn't get executed very well because the offensive line still isn't good. The only difference is that instead of Eli like taking uh, taking the turtle position or the fetal position, whichever he can get to fastest, and avoiding getting clobbered, it's Danny Dimes taking a full-on brunt of a pass rush square, square in the jaw when he really shouldn't be because in about 10 years, he's going to be, if he's still even in the league at that point, He's going to be a broken down human being. I mean, but, but like I said, I, I feel like he's going to have a lot of dump offs. So he's going to dump off to Saquon. I bet he has, like I said, 80, 85 dump off yards. And I bet Zeke for rushing probably has about, you know, 110 with about 30 receiving. And then after that, we'll see if Dak actually uh, shows up. Dak maybe has 240 and a rushing TD with two passing TDs. So we're going to call that 30, 34 to 17. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's entirely possible Saquon gets there, but you know, at the end of the be a receiving touchdown, I guarantee it. Again, I to me the Giants' offense does not match up well with the Cowboys' defense. It it it, it just doesn't match up well. And unless I see some legitimate adjustments from Pat Shermer in terms of his play calling, I don't see it. I don't see this game really going that differently. I think the Cowboys, uh, you know, the the way it's set up with, uh, and I'll, I'll pull up the late the latest line that I have uh, uh, for the game, uh, but uh, I I just don't see. I really don't see. Uh, this changing all that much. I really don't. I mean, the Cowboys are, yeah, they're, they're a seven and a half point favorite. You know, I expect by the time Monday rolls around, that line will probably shift to uh, seven or six and a half with uh, money coming in on the Giants. But, you know, I think the Cowboys covered this by, I think they win by double digits, to, to be perfectly honest. I don't think this game's, all that close because Dak with no pass rush from the Giants will have all day to throw and will still have plenty of opportunities to scramble with the ball and and bring things down the field. I think Dak has a field day. I think this is a double-digit win for the Cowboys and they don't look back. 
hope so. Well, I know you hope so. At this point, I'm playing for a draft pick uh, spot rather than that actual, uh, an actual outside shot of uh, making the playoffs. That does nothing for the Giants. Dang, you want a draft pick? Oh, I want a top five draft pick. Without question. <laughs> and it's going to be very hard to do because, uh, you know, it's it's going to be very hard to do because uh, at the end of the day, what's, uh, what's going to happen is that uh, there with so many teams tanking, it's going to be very hard for the Giants to get a top five pick unless they go 2 and 14 or 3 and 13. It's going to be very hard to get a top 5 draft pick without do, being that bad because you've already seen uh the Broncos uh bench Joe Flacco for calling out the play calling. Now saying that Joe Flacco's got a herniated disc in his neck when realistically they're benching him. The Bengals have benched Andy Dalton. So th- they have no intention of winning. The Dolphins you know, you saw the all-out blitz nonsense uh, on a third and twenty-two, trying to get themselves uh, to tank and lose the game to the Steelers. Like there are too many teams that are actively trying to tank games. That the Giants legitimately need to be three and thirteen or worse to even have a shot at a top five draft pick. Yeah. And they're not making the playoffs, so let, let's just get that out of the way. I mean, it makes me hurt. It makes me hurt. No, I, no, I love it. <laughs> yeah, great, Cam. Um, yeah, so realistically, it's been a quiet. It was a very quiet trade deadline. Uh, not a whole lot of movement, which you know, again, projecting out to see how some of these teams uh, stack up. I, you know, I, I really have a tough time doing it because, again, you know, with so many teams that are clustered together, whether they're actively trying to uh, actively try to tank or just too many teams that are just flat out mediocre and poorly constructed, they're just going to be a lot of uh, a lot of teams that are just clustered together, not even remotely close to making the playoffs. But someone's going to have to pick up wins uh, off these teams. And, you know, the Giants could be one of them. And they're trash. Exactly. So, uh, like I said, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how uh, the rest of the season plays out. But, you know, from a fantasy perspective... You know, outside of Emmanuel Sanders and a couple other wide receivers uh, changing destinations, uh, not a whole lot of not a whole lot of activity for a trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, <coughs> to be honest, it really wasn't. So, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Anyway, it's getting late, so I'm going to call it a night. But Cam, we will catch up. Uh, Later on in the week. Uh, but uh, that's all I got. You got any closing thoughts on the World Series or NFL thoughts you'd like to share with the peeps before we sign off? Go Rangers, go Cowboys.
All right. Well, I mean, the Rangers aren't doing anything next year either. I mean, let's hey, be. Come on. We're gonna sign Rando, uh, Rendon next uh, as a free agent. So. Oh, so you got to sign Rendon and then uh, not address the pitching staff for the fifth consecutive year. Um, make it twenty. Well, I, I was trying to be kind. I, I, I may, maybe you signed a pitcher five years ago and I forgot about it, but yeah, it could be twenty. <laughs> what Cole Hamels? Hey, hey, Cole, Cole, Cole got paid, so you know you can't say you didn't address the pitching staff. It may, it may have been a horrible uh, contract to give out, but you can't say you didn't address the pitching staff. All right. Take it easy, folks. Have a good night, and uh, we will catch you on the flip side next time. Have a good one. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.